Thanks, Patricia. What a beautiful reading voice. I love it. Taller than average. Good morning, everyone. Uh, if I haven't met you before, my name's Kurt. I'm one of the pastors of Wild Street. Uh, I, te- I tend to go to the evening congregation, so that's why you don't see me that much. Don't think I'm just a lazy pastor who never comes. Um, we're going to be spending some time looking at this section in Matthew. Uh, so let us pray and ask God to speak. Father God, we are so blessed to be able to sit under your word as, as a group of people who, who love you, who want to hear what you have to say. Uh, we acknowledge the, spirit, the, the presence of your Holy Spirit right now that takes your word and drives it into our hearts. And so we, we pray we'd sit under it this morning and listen to what you have to say. Uh, that whatever, you wanna, whatever you want to do in us, Lord, that we're ready for you to do it. Whatever you want to say to us, we're, we're ready to hear you, hear you speak. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so of all the miracles of Jesus, if you don't know the miracle of Jesus, lots of different miracles, of all the miracles of Jesus, which one would you like to be able to do? Which one would you like to be able to do? Uh, if you're into parties and you enjoy a party, then obviously the person who wants to turn water into wine. You know, be very popular, get you along to have all sorts of parties, save a whole bunch of money. Um, you could be the person who wants to heal the blind. You might want to heal the deaf. Uh, there's a whole bunch of miracles that Jesus has done. What about... Walking on water. Here was my attempt. That's me, by the way. 22 years old, riding bikes around the Sea of Galilee for the day. Uh, I decided that I was going to attempt to walk on water. And so what you need to do to do that is you need to walk around the shore looking for slightly submerged rocks a little bit off the shore so you can get your girlfriend to sit there and take a photo with you while you, while you walk on water. Now, why did I do that? Was it because in 24 years' time I knew I was going to be preaching this sermon and I wanted to show people what I used to look like as a 22-year-old? No, it wasn't that. I didn't know that. Well, actually, I think I did think that at the time, but anyway. Um, no, no, I, I thought it looked impressive. I think purely impressive. The idea of walking on water is impressive, not that I was actually doing it, but if I actually could do that, it'd be impressive. You want to impress people. Now, I think when people come to the miracles of Jesus, we come with that kind of attitude. We think... Jesus was doing it to just kind of impress people. That his miracles were all just about this raw display of power on show to impress the people around him. But on closer reading, the miracles of Jesus are more than just impressing people, raw displays of power. Jesus' miracles are about showing us who he is, his identity And on some occasions, they give us a picture of what it looks like to respond to him in faith. And so, whether today you have not put your trust in Jesus at all, you know, you're still exploring faith in Jesus, or you have put your trust in Jesus, today we're learning about who he is and what it means to respond in faith. So it's helpful for all of us. If you're new with us this morning, we're doing a one-off Today, next week we'll be beginning the book of a letter of Philippians. Uh, this today we're looking at Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Matthew is a wealthy man who becomes a follower of Jesus, who's a tax collector. Uh, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he sits down and he collects the teachings and the sayings and the events of Jesus' life, and he collects them all together into an account, Matthew's Gospel, for Jewish readers. Today we're jumping into chapter 14, which is right halfway in the middle. 
And what we're going to see is a story that shows both who Jesus is and what it looks like to trust him. So verse 22, it's up on the screen. Uh, Also, you have your Bible there as well. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. See, uh, chapter 14 comes after a long string of different things that Jesus has done, healing people, helping people. And so we know from chapter 13 onwards, he's actually been looking for a time to get away from the crowds to actually spend time with his father in prayer. Um, but as he's, he, So he's done a whole bunch of things to try and make that happen. Uh, he's gone to the other side of the lake in a boat to try and get away from the crowds, but then 5,000 people follow him and meet him on the other side. Because he's Jesus, he heals them, he has compassion on them, he heals them, he feeds them, you know, the, the, uh, he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. But then immediately he sends his disciples back into the boat to go to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. It's interesting. I just want to stop there for a moment because it, it's really, sometimes we can have this picture of Jesus when he did his ministry, like he was this um, energizer bunny of ministry. So he could do 24-7 healing people, uh, that he kind of didn't really need to have a life where he talked to his father, but he just kind of could do whatever he wanted because he was like this ministry machine. But what we see in the life of Jesus is that time after time, he would be looking for a chance to spend time with his father, that his ministry to others flowed out of his relationship with his father. And the reason that's helpful for me, instructive for me, and I think it's instructive for all of us, is that how often do we go and minister to others without thinking we need to spend time with our Father? We can just kind of pump out ministry thinking we're better than Jesus. Jesus spends time with his Father and what flows out of that is ministry to others. But again, he's called upon to help people And here we see Jesus walking on the water. So pick it up, verse 23. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch, so that's 3 a.m. in the morning of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is not a big sea. Sea makes it sound really, really big, but I rode bikes around in it a day. It's about 60 k's around, about 13 k's across. That's a picture of it, looking across it. Um, Because of the harsh weather, the winds that were buffeting them as the boat, they just hardly get across the lake, and it's 3 a.m. in the morning. And so what happens in the midst of that, as they're going across the lake, Jesus walks out on the water to them. Now, it's not to impress them. It's not even in the first instance just to save them. But as we said, what are his miracles about? About revealing who he is. How do we understand what walking on water means? You know, it doesn't mean that he's just a really, really fast walker. What does it mean? Well, in order to understand the miracles of Jesus, you actually have to go back into the first part of the Bible, which tells you things about who God is to understand who Jesus is. And so if you go back to the first part of the Bible, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, we see that it's God who is the one who directs the waters where to go. So who has power over the waters? God. You go to Exodus, the story of the Exodus, where God brings his people out of Egypt. And as he brings them out, 
He parts the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea are pushed apart so that his people can go through on dry land. Who is the one who parts the sea? It's God. Job chapter 9, the reason we read it before is it says this, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. Who is the one in control of the waters? Who is the one who is king of the creation? It's God. And so as Jesus walks out on the lake across these seas, as he tramples the waves of the sea, he identifies himself as God the Son become man, as king over creation. But another thing Jesus' miracles often give us is not just a picture of his identity as king, as God become man, but they also give us a picture of what his new creation is going to be like. A new creation where people will not be threatened by the environment, a place where earthquakes and monsoons will not bring death, but people will live in sync with creation. And so Jesus walks out to his disciples across the water. And the reaction is obvious, isn't it? Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and says, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So it's really easy to think that people back in the ancient Near East were superstitious, but because we're so informed by science, we wouldn't think things like that, that it was a ghost and things like that. But imagine if Rod, all right, maybe we're getting down from River Beach, and as we sit on the beach, Rod just decides to walk, get up and start walking across the water. Pastor Rod's walking on the water. You'd freak out, wouldn't you? You'd think, what the heck? That's what's happening here. Verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now when you stop for a moment and put yourself in the boat, you're in the boat, Your teacher, your rabbi, who you've seen do lots of miracles, is walking on the sea. You're in the middle of this kind of storm. This wind has been buffeting you all night and you haven't got anywhere. It's 3 a.m. You're tired. You're exhausted. What is your next move? What is your next move? See, for me, my next move is to say, hey, Jesus, can you jump in the boat with us and help us get to the other side? Peter has a different idea. Have a look, verse 28. Then Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why did he go for that? Why did he ask that? We, we presume it's not because Peter wanted uh, to impress the other disciples. He's thinking, here's my chance to be able to walk on water so all the other disciples can just look at me and think, oh, he's the water walker, and just to impress them, to get his ranking as... We presume it's not because of that. He's been in the middle of this storm all night. He's tired. He's exhausted. And so surely it's wiser for him to say, Jesus, get into the boat. So why does he ask this? Well, I think there's a clue in what he says here. There's a clue in what he says. He says, Jesus, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you on the water. He doesn't say... Jesus, command the wind and the waves to hold me up. Command me to come to the water. Now, why does he say that? Well, I think it's because Peter knew that what made Jesus 
ultimately impressive was not just his display of power over creation, but what marked Jesus out as God's king was his capacity to command people or call people to himself. See, that's what Peter had seen for the last, uh, for the last uh, we presume about 12 months, spending time with Jesus. He'd seen it happen over and over again. He'd see Jesus walk up to people and say, come, follow me. And the person would leave their work, their life, and follow Jesus. Peter says, Jesus, if you are the king, if you're the one there, tell me to come to you. Command me to come to you. Verse 29, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't question Peter's request to walk on water. It's not like Jesus says, no, Peter, you're just trying to show off to the disciples. I'm not going to let you walk on water. He says, come. He says, come. Because Peter, Peter's request ex- expressed the idea that Jesus' power over creation was not some impressive party trick. It shows that Jesus is the king of the new creation, a king that is calling people back to be a part of his new kingdom. And so at the command of Jesus, Peter steps out of the boat and he walks to Jesus. Verse 30, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Now, as he gets close to Jesus, we presume within arm's length of Jesus, he starts to sink. Now, why, why is this happening? Well, it simply says he, he looked at the storm. He looked at the wind. See, the wind had always been there. He'd been in that wind until 3 a.m. in the morning. He knew the wind was always there. When Jesus had walked out on the water, the, still, water, the wind was still there. And yet, as Jesus walked out, His gaze, the centre of his gaze, his focus started to be on Jesus and not the storm. The storm went into the background. Jesus came into the foreground. And so he walked in faith, setting his eyes on Jesus. But it says he, he saw the wind and he was afraid and began to sink. The storm entered into the centre of vision. And Jesus rescinded into the background and he was afraid. But even though he's sinking, it's interesting here, even though he's sinking, he still believes that even though he's drowning, that Jesus can stand. So he cries out, Lord, save me. Save me, Jesus. He believes Jesus can stand to rescue him. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, Jesus is not condemning Peter and saying, you never believed me in the first place. He's saying, of you of little faith. Peter had faith. He stepped out of the boat. He walked across the water. He kept his eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus is saying, you had faith, but your faith didn't persevere. You trusted me when you were walking on the water. But then when you saw the winds, 
you started to doubt. You started to question who I was and my capacity. See, Jesus is saying to Peter, you can trust me. You can trust me. I'm the king of this world and I can save. Verse 32, And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You're sitting in the boat. You're seeing Jesus, Peter walk on the water to Jesus, him slightly drown him. Jesus grab his hand and get back into the boat. The wind ceases. What's your conclusion? He's God. And so what do you do with God? When he's standing in front of you, you worship him. It's the only normal right response recognising that Jesus is the powerful king of creation who saves. Now, if this morning you are someone who is still exploring Jesus and you're coming along to church and you're hearing an account of Jesus where he is walking on water, this crazy miracle story, then perhaps you're thinking to yourself now, that just sounds too way out there for me. That sounds too far-fetched. We live in an age of science. It just sounds ridiculous. It's, it sounds like a mythical creation made up by his followers to make their religion more popular. You know, it's almost like they, they thought, how can we get our religious leader up the religious leader rankings? Well, we'll, we'll make up a whole bunch of stories about him doing crazy miracles to make him almost superhero-like in what he can do. And so you're thinking this morning, how could I ever believe something like that? I think that your argument that it's the disciples marketing Jesus to make him more superhero-like, I think it would hold weight if the only stories we had about Jesus were these superhero-like stories. So if Matthew's account was just a whole bunch of him healing, a whole bunch of him raising the dead, a whole bunch of him walking on water, a whole bunch of miracle stories, then your argument could be, look, they're just trying to make him seem all powerful. But as you keep reading Matthew's account of Jesus' life, you find out that the miracle man who has power over creation itself gets tortured, gets flogged, gets rejected, gets executed in the most shameful of ways on a cross. See, if these guys were attempting to market Jesus as a religious leader to follow, you don't mention the cross. You see, the reason these stories are here are not to be impressive, but they're to show you who he is. That Jesus was God become one of us, not just to offer salvation to Peter in that moment as he grabbed his hand, but to save all who cry out to him. You see, the Bible says something profound about the nature of human beings, and that is we are drowning. We're drowning in this thing called sin, and we're unable to help ourselves. We consistently live in a manner where we reject the God of the universe in order to do the things we want to do our way and what we want. And the Bible says we are drowning in that. We are unable to help ourselves. We can't do anything to save ourselves. But the Bible says when Jesus came, as God become man, he used all of his power to, to provide, to do something we couldn't do, and that is to save us. Save us. 
through his death on the cross, his death took the punishment for all of our rejection of God that we might restore to relationship with him. See, if this morning you are someone who's not put your trust in Jesus, then it sounds harsh to say this, but you are drowning right now. You might not even be aware of that, but you're drowning in your rejection of God. And you need to cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me, that he might grab your hand and restore your friendship with God. If that's you this morning, then please come and speak to me, come and speak to Sam. We'd love to pray with you. But if you're someone who has put their trust in Jesus, this passage not doesn't just display what we see of God Jesus as God, but it also gives a picture of what faith looks like. And so I've got three things I want to speak about this morning, finally speak about this morning about faith. Firstly, faith is empowered by Jesus. That's what we see here. Faith is empowered by Jesus. Peter says to Jesus, command me to come to you. He knows his capacity to come to Jesus, even through a storm, is dependent on Jesus saying, come. And so the book of Hebrews says it this way, that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, it's not because you are more, you've got this moral capacity, this great moral capacity that you became a Christian. It's not because you're smarter, as in you figured out who Jesus is from the Bible, like you kind of deciphered this code, and you figured out how to be saved. It's not because you are more inclined to faith. I remember years ago sitting with someone at a, at a wedding, them explaining to me the reason I was a person of faith is because I had a part of my brain that was uh, more, more dialed up to enable me to have faith. It's not because you have, are a person who's more likely to have faith, smarter or more moral. You are a follower of Jesus today because Jesus called you. He said, come to me. He enabled you to see who he was, to open your blind eyes that you might see what he's done for you on the cross and that you might be empowered by that Jesus to respond in trust, in faith. See, faith in the Bible, it's not some kind of super positive thinking about a situation. That's what you get in Disney movies. Where you're supposed to look at the wind and the waves of life and you're supposed to look within yourself to have the courage to face the storms of life. No, no. In the Bible, faith, initiation, its authorship comes when Jesus commands us and we see him, when we focus on him, when we focus on his promises in his word, when we focus on his person and what he's done, when we focus on his power, his goodness, See, as someone, as a pastor, I regularly meet with people who are struggling with sin, who are struggling with, with life and its difficulties. And I would say the majority of the time I spend with people in those situations, my job as the pastor is to help them to again focus on Jesus. Because you know what it's like. You get into a hard spot in life where you're struggling with sin, where you're struggling with trials and suffering or grief. And it's really, really hard not to focus on those things and completely lose sight of Jesus 
But friends, faith doesn't happen when we look within ourselves. Faith happens when we look at him. When we recognise who he is, when we look at his word and say, that's who you are, Jesus. I want to trust you. Firstly, faith is empowered by Jesus. Secondly, faith involves both feet. Peter had to get out of the boat and walk. It was not enough for him. Imagine Peter, he'd just say, yeah, I'll trust you, Jesus. I'll just put my foot out and touch the water to see how hard it is. A number of years ago, I heard a definition of what faith is. It said this, faith is dependence to the point of vulnerability. Faith is dependence to the point of vulnerability. It's depending on God. It's trusting in God. I mean, a couple of days ago, I was chatting with a mate about what it feels like to have a relationship with God because he was struggling with it. He was saying to me, I don't, sometimes I don't feel like I have a relationship with God. I, I, it, uh, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. Like I don't always feel this sense of love or I don't feel this sense of joy. Am I really having a relationship with God? And as we chatted about it, I said to him, what is the thing you feel in relationship to God? And he said, I think I feel dependent. I said, that's relationship with God. It's dependence to the point of vulnerability. That's the norm for the Christian experience. It's not going to be this glorious I'm on fire in power. Faith is dependence and feeling vulnerable before God. It's not just saying the right words. It's trusting Jesus with the big decisions and more often than not the small decisions of life. It's, tr- it's stepping out of the boat in our relationships and actually loving the person who has hurt you and forgiving them. It's stepping out of the boat in our workplaces and having that conversation about the sermon you heard on the weekend. It's stepping out of the boat with your neighbours and inviting them over for dinner to get to know them. It's stepping out of the boat with your career and choosing to take a career path that will mean you'll have less money, but you'll still be enabled to minister to other people with gifts that you have at church. Faith involves both feet. Thirdly, faith will involve doubt, storms and fear. See, the sea, when Jesus called him walk on water, the sea didn't become concrete. Peter still had to walk in a storm. They stayed the same. And so we should expect that fear, that storms, that doubt are a normal part of walking by faith. That's what it looks like. That's the environment in which it happens. I wonder this morning, what what storms are you struggling with right now? What doubts are filling your mind? It's so easy to start looking at the storms, it's so easy to start looking within yourself to find strength, to say, I've got to try and be more faithful here, I've got to do it, I've got to do it, instead of focusing on who you should be focusing on, and that is on Jesus. See, what's so encouraging from this passage is that when Peter is sinking, when he hasn't kept his, he started looking at the wind and the waves, he's, kept, he's taken his focus off Jesus, when he is sinking, he still cries out, Jesus, save me. And what does Jesus do? He grabs his arm. See, when we are going through suffering and struggle, 
It can seem like everything around us is screaming out, God is not good. It can seem like it's saying, the world is saying to us, God is not powerful. It can seem like the world is saying to us, God has left you for dead. And you hear that, it's coming at you. And in those places, you can have extreme doubt, real doubt as a Christian. And yet, the truth is, Jesus is right there. Jesus is right there in the midst of your doubt. And so as we cry out to him, Jesus, help me, save me, he grabs us by the hand and he can hold us. We can trust Jesus knowing he is trustworthy. You can get out of the boat and walk on the water. One of the reasons I, I preached this passage this morning, I chose this passage this morning, is for about, about three months ago, this is a passage that really impacted me. Um, for those who don't know my story, um, I have Parkinson's disease, which is a degenerative disease. And so my difficulties with Parkinson's is, is tremoring um, in part, different parts of my body, a sense of anxiety, uh, a sense of um, physical anxiety, uh, involuntary movements in my arm in particular. And one of the impacts of those kind of symptoms is that you want to pull back from everything, kind of hide. Socially, you feel a bit of shame about the fact that you're tremor in front of people. Emotionally, you don't want the stress of feeling that shame and feeling awkward. And Overall, you start feeling weak and useless. And so for me personally, it has meant I've found myself being reticent to do the things that God has called me to do, that God has gifted me to do for fear of looking weak, for fear of being vulnerable, for fear of being dependent on God. And so as I read this passage a number of months ago, God really clearly said to me, both feet, Kurt, both feet. See, I realised that what I'd started to do is put one foot back in the boat. I don't want to make myself vulnerable. Even though I feel like that's my calling, I don't want to make myself vulnerable. I don't want to feel weak, God. And God said to me, both feet, Kurt. Keep your eyes focused on me in the midst of your storm. Trust me in your weakness. See, this water walking here, that, that was actually about me being impressive. But true water walking is about living in dependent trust in Jesus. It involves weakness, it involves dependence, it involves vulnerability. And at the end of the day, it doesn't show how impressive I am. It shows how impressive he is. That he is the one who can hold me up. Friends, this morning, I don't know your storms. I don't know what you're going through, but, but God is calling you today to walk with two feet out of the boat, to trust him. And so in this, uh, after the final song this morning, I want to invite anyone who needs prayer to come down the front. I want to pray with you. Whether... Uh, you are going through some really intense storms of life, whether you have fear, whether you feel like you're drowning and 
need to ask someone to help you, need to ask Jesus to save you, whether you've got one foot in the boat and you know Jesus call you to trust you and step out, I pray that you come and I can pray with you or just pray with someone else here. It doesn't have to be me. I have super-powered prayers. Let me pray. Father God, we, um, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to reveal himself to us as the God, the Son, become man, the one who is king of creation. We thank you that he has the power to call those who are his to himself to become his followers. We thank you that you have called us. And so we ask, Father, that we would be able to grow in our capacity to trust you, to step out of the boat with two feet. Father, for those people here this morning who have significant storms that they're going through, significant trials, I pray that you would help them to cry out to you, to not look within themselves and think that they can do it with their own tenacity or grit, but to cry out to you, Jesus, in dependent faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.